So as it turns out, some of us may or may not have needed a few data points before making predictions. Amit, I went out on a limb on the last podcast, and I'm not going to beat around the bush. I maybe should have seen a data point before predicting that Iran were going to go to the semifinals. Hey, it's not done yet. There's two more games. They still could get out. You got to play. You got to play the games, Austin. That's true. That's true. The other teams in the group are now just on one point. They're only one point back. Ignore yeah. the goal differential. They're only one point back. As far as the the dream path to making the semifinal, all of the things that we said needed to happen did not happen. Qatar is probably not going to finish second in the group. I guess jury's still out on the whole Denmark-France thing. But as far as the Iran to the semifinal train of it, it appears as though it has fully derailed. Yeah, that was easily the worst result of the uh, first four games, even if it wasn't the worst showing. But that's that's life at the World Cup. Things can snowball on you quickly. That's life with going out on a limb and making predictions with your heart and not your head sometimes. Uh, this is the World Cup After Dark podcast. I am bad prediction maker Austin Miller. He is content U.S. men's national team fan, Amit Malik? Uh, <laughs> alive? All right. U.S. men's <laughs> national team? Uh, that was quite a roller coaster, even for everyone watching, not just the fans involved. But if you were involved as a fan, oof, that one got the heart rate going. That was fun. On today's show, we're going to break down the four matches we've seen. We'll take a quick look ahead to what's coming. Let's get straight into it, Amit. We're not opening with the U.S. Men's National Team Wales game because we're a podcast that features two American citizens. We're opening with it because it was the best game that we saw so far. USA won, Wales won, a relatively sleepy first half that saw the U.S. take the lead through a great bit of collective play. And then a second half that really roared into life and a penalty equalizer for Wales and then some after dark final 15 minutes that we saw. This was a good game. Was it a good result for the U.S.? Uh, I think no. It wasn't a good result, but it's a passable result. I mean, we kind of circle this one as one of our hashtag big first games. Um, You know, I think maybe we both thought that U.S. and Iran would be dueling it out for the second spot, but certainly Wales was ready uh, in that conversation. Um, and I think the U.S. needed three points more uh, than they just needed three points in this game. They didn't get it. They're not done. Uh, I think on balance, they're slightly have a harder road. The odds still have them as favored, and you still like their chances. I'm a U.S. fan. I like their chances. And both teams got out of that game having to feel good about themselves. But if you're the U.S., you had all this talk. The way they played in the first half, yeah, it's a disappointment uh, to come out of that with just a draw, for sure. The U.S. was really impressive in the first half, and I don't know how much of that was necessarily the U.S. being good, how much of that was Wales taking a pretty passive approach, but you have to give the U.S. credit. They took the chances that they created. They didn't create a ton of chances. There was the the weird near-own-goal save followed by Josh Sargent going off target, getting saved. And then there was the chance that they scored, but that was a really good bit of play and not a type of play that you'd seen the U.S. men's national team make in recent memory. And that had to be pretty exciting. The whole sergeant hold up Pulisic way a run. That was good stuff. It was a truly beautiful goal. Uh, It was Greg's Berhalter soccer at its finest. It's the way it was meant to be. And that was overall the first half. I think we talked about this game for a long time. And that kind of went the way we expected um, for both teams. And then specifically, if you're a U.S. fan, that was about as well as they could have played 
just in terms of controlling the game and, you know, controlling the ball, they needed to score another goal, which we get into because things totally flipped in the second half. Yeah, so and what that's really was the game. In the yeah, second I mean, half, is it is it easy enough to say that Wales brought on Kiefer Moore and that made them a more dangerous team? I think that was uh, an easy catalyst for sure. I think that totally changed the tenor of the game. I think this can happen a lot in uh, any level of soccer, but particularly international level where every game, every minute matters. Wales needed to survive to halftime down one. They yep. got in. They totally reassessed. They were like, yeah, we can't keep playing this way. We need to change our approach. They came higher up the field. They started pressing the U.S. They started getting numbers and launching balls into the mixer. And I think some U.S. things happened too, right? They got a little tired to keep that intensity up. Dest was poor in the second half. Um, McKenney was clearly hurt. And, you know, Greg got to his subs, and we'll talk about that. But at the end of the day, the the goal wasn't necessarily... It was a long time coming for Wales in terms of the way they changed their philosophy to the yeah. game. The actual goal itself was a mistake from the U.S. and a little bit of heady play by Wales, but it, it is a lot of reasons that happened. I think the U.S. dropped, Wales went up, they tactically changed. That's that's the way a game can go. It's halftime matters. Kiefer Moore is really good. Like I think there's this tendency to kind of think of him as this big, you know, like traditional Andy Carroll number nine. But he is more than just a hold-up player. Like, he's really good on the ball. He's not just this big dude that's out there to take up space. Yeah, I I agree with you. He's really good at Bournemouth. And um, Tyler Adams said it himself. He learned at Leeds when we played him. You have to totally change your game plan for him because he's technical around the box. He can... The way he holds up isn't by being big. It's because he's actually good at, you know, turning and quick on his feet. He's pretty nimble. But, yeah, he totally... uh, changed the tenor of the game and you could see the belief for Wales like in the first half it was pretty bleak for them in terms of the game script we were talking to each other we were like how is Wales gonna score they had nothing yeah. they had I mean, no Wales, way to in the first the half the only thing they did was they forced two yellow cards from the U.S. right like yes. Des made a bad challenge McKinney made a bad challenge they got two yellow cards they had a set piece from a long way out they didn't do anything with it that was it in the first half for Wales and in the second half, they got more to their game. They forced Matt Turner into the big save. They had the opportunity from the corner kick. And then they earned a penalty with what was a, a misguided challenge from Walker Zimmerman. You, you can't go through a player in the box at any point, and specifically yeah. not at that point, and definitely not Gareth Bale. Spot on on all accounts. I, I think a good way to put it, if you're a FIFA player, you just don't hit X yeah. or square. You yeah. don't do it on the box. You just yeah. don't. At no point is that a good idea, especially not to come in behind someone, right? He's turned away from goal. He can't hurt you on his first touch. Um, and, and like, like yeah. And like, you knew, you could see it. Like, there was a replay, and I don't know if they showed it on the Fox broadcast. I was watching the broadcast here in Argentina, where... Zimmerman goes down to make the challenge and he like is immediately shaking his head like, no, no, I didn't do that. I didn't just do that. And as you said, if you've played FIFA, you've had that exact moment where you just like rashly press X or square or whatever it is in the box. Like, oh, no, 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 I didn't mean to do that. Yeah, I mean, and he did it and it's a penalty. And Gareth Bale took a really good penalty. He did. He he really did. I mean, this is what we talked about um, before with Wales, you need a moment of class from Gareth Bale. And we're not going to sit here and say a penalty kick is the greatest possible contribution. But Turner really got to his spot, yeah. made a, an honest effort at that save. And Bale, 
I, I, every time the camera panned to him, he was just breathing really deeply. He was just going Zen mode. And I was like, oh no, this guy's a killer. And having just experienced him rip my throat out as a union fan, I was like, oh, this man's got one thing on his mind. He did not take a weak pen. Uh, that's a, I don't think you could take a better pen to hit it that hard in the corner. It was evil, totally evil. And I mean, he drew it too. Like, that's that's the Gareth Bale experience yeah, it's at this like, point. And like, here's the thing: like, Gareth Bale is very clearly not the Gareth Bale of Real Madrid that is just running by people with 99 level pace, you know. But he still has that ability to make a difference in a match, and he did in that moment, and he took the penalty. And admit he very nearly had another moment to win the match. Late on, we're into stoppage time. More on stoppage time in a little bit because apparently we're just going to get ten minutes of stoppage time in every game at this World Cup. Uh, Matt Turner, I don't know what he was doing, but ended up about forty yards from his goal, winning the ball. And the ball, there was this moment where it was just kind of floating around in the midfield. It was like, oh, if a Welsh player gets on that, it could be dangerous. And then not just any Welsh player got on it. It was Gareth Bale. And we've seen him do these sort of wild distance finishes into an empty net before. And Kellen Acosta, can you deny an obvious goal scoring opportunity 45 yards from goal? If you can, he did with a very well-deserved yellow card and a very well-taken yellow card. He had to do it. I mean... Yeah, 100%. Yeah, can you sit there and say it was going in for sure? No, but did everyone who was watching that game think it was going in? Yes, that's denying a goal score opportunity. And you know who knew it was going in? Kellen Acosta. Because there he's at LAFC with Gareth Bale. You know what you know what Gareth Bale's been doing at training at LAFC, Austin? What has he's he been, been doing? over on field three? He's by himself. Maybe him and Chiellini, they're playing horse. Who could who could make a good shot? Gareth Bale's are just spinning the ball out fifty yards, taking driving range practice. Acosta see that. He knew that Bale was sizing it up. Oh man, it, the collective ga- uh, like paralyzed with fear moment yeah. that I'm sure all the U.S. men's national fans he had to do it. Really, really smart foul. Like it, you can't get around that. That was so smart. All right, so let's let's go here to kind of close out this this U.S. men's national team section. Did anything change for them today with this result? I think if the we talked about the bell curve, we've talked about the bell curve a lot on this podcast. We'll continue talking about the bell curve. I don't think the bell curve necessarily changed. I just think the order of the results changed. Like you, you, maybe you drew it up that the U.S. Would, would beat Wales and draw Iran. Now they drew Wales and they probably have to beat Iran, right? Like, is that the biggest change for this team for you? I think in in actuality, yes, yes. I think it's a lot of lessons for this team. Not to like talk too much about it that way, but. They learned, They're you know, young. The things we, They're super yeah, young. The things we thought about them were true. They are capable of controlling a game. They were capable of scoring a goal. They were first to a lot of 50-50s. They played the way they wanted. They were also young, inexperienced. Greg had his ups and downs. Really yep. good game plan. Really good lineup selection. A little slow on the draw with his subs. And maybe he should have shut them down a little bit because they almost gave a few chances to give Wales to one. And his subs were fine, so... You know, I think this is this is the U.S. men's national team. They're good, they're talented, they're young and flawed. And so the bell curve is totally still in play. But I do think just the order of the games makes things a little tough, just if you're really right. going to think about the way they have to get through. Because they have England, and if they don't win... Or if they don't even if they don't if they don't pick up a point, they're in real trouble. This makes an England draw 
that much more important where if they had beaten Wales, they could have escaped the England game with a loss and then just, you know, probably played for a draw against Iran. And look, you know, if you assume Wales loses to England, you're okay. But the issue is if you lose to England, you're on, you're on three or you're on one, sorry. England's on six and they know they're through. They don't have to play in the last game versus Wales. That's not to say the England B team can't beat Wales and competitive spirit. Great. Another world cup with try. this stupid England B team. I'm sick of the England B team. I've seen enough yeah, of the no, England B team. No one needs to see that, but that's the real worry of that course. if us loses and Wales wins against Iran, Wales can go into the last game against an England team whose result is already sealed. So England us really needs to try to pick up a draw. I mean, they always would want a draw or a result against England, but now it's that much more urgent. And now Every U.S. fan has to, like, put their marbles in the Qatar pot. Or not the Qatar, excuse me. The Iran pot. Yeah. It really, really would help the U.S. if Iran gets a point or three. Like, it matters so much. So, in that sense, yes, it's changed. I think for the U.S. specifically, outcome-wise, no. But the entire complexion has changed. And that's yeah. just the nature of it. I think, like you said, the nightmare scenario for the U.S. is that England goes into that last match on six points. Wales goes into the last match on four points. The U.S. has one. Iran has none. And England and Wales play out a pretty drab draw that is mutually beneficial to them both. England tops the group on seven. Wales goes through on five. That's the worst case scenario for the U.S., I think. Yes, that's it. And we'll, we can talk about this group more when it comes back around. We don't need to belabor sure. the point, but um, it's, it's all, it's still, both teams are still alive, uh, US and Wales. And just to cap it off, it really was a great game. The yeah. last 20 minutes or so were awesome. This is what we want from a World Cup game. Two teams going at it. This, this is, it was sick. I mean, as a US fan, it was hard, but like, it was, it was a great game. Final question on the U.S. men's national team. Amit, one word answer: Yes or no? Are you terrified by the prospect of Sergio Dest against the England wingers? Yes. Oh. That's it. One Great. one word. One, one word. word. We, yes. Yeah. That's it. Uh, rumor has it he may be in the center circle as goals are scored for England that start on his wing that he is supposed to be defending. Uh, let's go to the World Cup opener: Qatar nil, Ecuador two. Um, I, this was really interesting to me, Amit, because. I think the very easy cop-out analysis of this game is that Qatar was not ready and was not deserving of their spot at the World Cup. And I think there's some element of that that is true. They were bad, and the moment was certainly too big for them. But they also regressed because we saw this Qatar team not be terrible at the Gold Cup and be competitive at the Copa America. And this was far from that. They were outclassed from the get-go here. And it really did feel like the moment was too big for them. and. They came up against an Ecuador team that was ready for it, and they were not, and they were out of it from pretty much the word go. I think so. I think you hit it, and it's Ecuador didn't play that well on the whole. I think they could have created a little more, but where you have to give Ecuador credit is they came out just so in with the intensity and the physicality, and they knew that if we just win every 50-50 ball, you know, we're going to take the sting off, you know, the adrenaline for Qatar early. And they did. And listen, they had a goal disallowed on a set piece. We don't, I don't want to talk about that yet, but it was a penalty kick. And then it was a truly like insane header from Enter Valencia. Like 
on the balance of play, and, and you can look at an XG map, it was like 0.4 for Ecuador. It wasn't like it, they totally outclassed them. But in what happened before but they, they took the... But, but they, they did, did outclass them yes. because they had a player who rose to the occasion, right? Yes. Like yeah. I 100% get what you're saying. It's not like they completely dominated the game. They weren't just barraging the goal with chances. Yeah. But they no, scored but early. Yes. And they scored again, and that was pretty yeah. much it. That was my point, is that the game plan went as planned for exactly. Ecuador. That's, and so, in that sense, Ecuador were good value for their win, in my opinion. I think they played towards their identity. And look, we kind of expected more from Qatar. I agree with you. I even thought in the second half we might see a little fight. And sure, they tried, but um, listen, this Ecuador team is going to be really tough to play against. Um, I really was impressed with Valencia, who... I we didn't expect him to have that right. dynamism. And that's yeah. what I mean, the penalty kick, you know, that in the XG you would go penalties you might count them separately. He earned that penalty kick by, you know, torturing the defense. The keeper yeah. had a nightmare like it was it was good it was a good performance from from Ecuador. So, yeah, Enter Valencia, I think the biggest questions we had on Ecuador coming into this World Cup was one, would they play attacking football and they generally did and this was the match where they had to do it right this was the match you had to have you have to have the three points here and they had it and two could they have an elite level goal score and Ener Valencia had not been that for Ecuador he had been that playing club football in Turkey and he was on this occasion scored the goal that was disallowed scored the penalty really great header for the second goal that's a really good performance from him. And that's the type of level that Ecuador need from him. If they want to make a good extended run in this tournament, which they're absolutely capable of doing. Totally players at the, at the world cup to win, you need players to go up a level to play like a star. And like, like you said on both goals to win the penalty, that was like just dynamic. He's fast. He's still fast. You know, he has, yep. that's, he's old, but he's still fast. He just, that back line was way too high. And like, you have to, they, they weren't respecting him. And then the header, like, that's just so hard. He's, he's on the back post, but he's like 13, 14, maybe more yards from goal. And to get that thing low into the corner, you can't like, you can't like count on that or quantify that. Like, that's just an insane header. And so, yeah, we're we're kind of gushing, but like if he plays at this level, which is not to say on the numbers part scores low XG chances because that's not like consistent or whatever. Like if he's just this dynamic, Ecuador are totally different than what we expected, and that makes them good odds to get through the group and a tough out for anyone. Yeah, the the downside here for Ecuador, Moises Caicedo on a yellow card. You don't really want to be giving away yellow cards with how stringent the rules are as far as suspensions are concerned. So that's something to watch. Not a great day for our friend in goal, Syed El Sheb for Qatar. I mean, it started poorly uh, when he just went for a walk on what should have been the first goal, but wasn't because of an interesting VAR decision that I think is actually technically a correct decision. It's just like, come on, let's not. It was like a funny 10 minutes on the internet where we all thought that Qatar had somehow rigged the game. Yeah. Uh, And then it turned out five minutes later that no, uh, (laughs) they had not. Uh, and then, obviously, he commits the penalty, gives up the penalty. And then he was in a great position on that Valencia header. He just didn't get to it because it was a ridiculous header. Uh, how about the dude who said Qatar was going to win one nothing Amit? For about 10 minutes, it looked like, oh, something might be up here. Yeah. Something's going on, right? Yeah, it was fun while it lasted. Um, yeah. I think 
I think when we talked about this game, you know, I don't think we were that far off in terms of the way these two teams were going to approach it. I think maybe we thought Qatar would have the ball a little more. It The way it was in my head and maybe yours was the way the second half looked. So credit to Ecuador for coming out more confidently at a 0-0 game state. Yeah. But Qatar were disappointing. They really didn't create a lot. And look... <laughs> there's just not a lot of talent in that squad. Like, no, uh, there's Afif, not. And, yeah. And, Afif was good, but yeah. he had no help. And Ali got into good positions, but that header at the end of the first half would have been offsides. It counts in the XG, but like they were really, they were really lacking. And I think they can play better, but it might be too late already. And like, I think one of my big takeaways from the first, you know, day of world cup action is we often forget how, few true events there are in these matches right yeah this is just it's always a tournament where there's just so few genuine opportunities and it comes down to can you take them and there was a moment in the second half when Qatar you know they've been building all game to have one moment and they finally get it and I think it fell to Ali and he just terrible finish on a chance it's like that's the moment that at a World Cup you have to take because there's just not that many of them. It doesn't function like any other soccer game, right? Like it yeah. doesn't function like a club game where there's just all of these moments and chances. It's just such low event soccer that when a chance happens, you have to take it. I'm with you 100%. I was going to talk about that in my takeaways, but we'll, we can get to it. I'm with you. And it was it was a bummer for, for Qatar. I mean, not saying I was rooting for them, but... We, I was interested in the home soil boost. They're the first host team to lose their opening match at the World Cup. That's dating back to the 1930. Like, yeah. that's crazy. And I think on balance, if you were going to look at a profile of a team to do it, Qatar fits it. But I think we both thought they'd be better, and they weren't. And that's pretty cut and dry after one game. Yeah. Uh, let's move on to the first game that we saw today. England 6, Iran 2. Uh, as we covered at the start, it does not look as though Iran will be going to the semifinals. Would have been a shame had anybody projected that. Yeah, this one is interesting because overall on the whole, England, very good performance. Very impressed by their attacking talent and their ability to break down Iran, yep. who are a disciplined team. That being said, I'm not saying this game would have gone differently, but talk about a low XG goal early on, like... That's a really good header from Jude Bellingham. Yeah. Like England's plan was to get their fullbacks up the field and cross. And like another one of the big takeaways is that's kind of what the offense is going to look like when you don't want to commit too many numbers forward and expose yourself. You got to be really patient and you just got to hope that someone's going to like get ahead on the ball and you have numbers. And Bellingham was really good. England's fullbacks were really good. And that's a crazy header. Like yeah. all, a lot of these games had really crazy headers. This Bellingham one was, was awesome. And that really I, opened a run up. That goal goes yeah, in. After it, that, it, it totally was different. And look, the other goals too. Saka gets a deflection on a set piece, like half have a hit from 18 yards out. And then from there, it just kind of unraveled. But I think what you saw is that England were relentless and Iran just, didn't really have enough going forward. And when the game state changed that early, they that's that's not in their ability to overturn. They yeah. needed this game to be 0-0, 50, 60 minutes in to kind of feel themselves. Credit to England. That was a that was a really impressive opening statement from them. And I think 
Iran are not built to take advantage of the deficiencies that England may have. Like there were moments when Harry Maguire was on the ball and it's, and that's why I think the U S matches up really well with England because they have the type of players who can really pressure the England defense into mistakes. And Iran simply didn't. And like, that, I think, is the way that you're going to beat England is you pressure that defense into making bad passes, into doing things with the ball that they shouldn't try to do. And Iran didn't have the, the necessary bodies to really make that sort of difference. And that allowed England to be really comfortable in this game. Look, there were a lot of center back to center back passes, et cetera, et cetera. But once the goal went in, they got another in quick succession. They got the third. And, you know, that's lights out from there, yeah. obviously. That's- it's what a good team does. Like you yeah. just said, they were ruthless. They took yeah. their opportunities. They they stamped it out like quick, which, you know, talk about a team that was up the whole first half in the U.S. They didn't get that second goal. Right. That like it was it was credit to credit to England. Did you ch- does this change anything regarding England mm. for you? Do you have a different opinion of England now that you have this data point? Not necessarily. I, I feel a little more optimistic about them and. We knew they were talented. I think what it does change is I was a little worried about their run of form this year mm-hmm. on the whole. They've had they had uh, not won in their six games before yeah. this one. Kane had been not in good form in an England shirt. Maguire has been in bad form since he last put on an England shirt at a World Cup. But they were they looked really sharp, really cohesive, like a group that's been playing together. And Southgate, you know, was a, adventurous enough to like free up his team. So did it answer the biggest question of like, I think that issue you're talking about them playing out against a good team that can pressure them. We'll see. But right. I think they, it was almost, this is a little weird. It was almost bad for them. They used up a lot of their open play goal scoring luck <laughs> against Iran. They, they might need those goals later because normally like this is the England that we expect is a team that slogs through and needs set pieces and kind of, crappy goals to score and this one they just looked like a total cut above so we'll see if they they stay in this zone but i think probably not and so that's why i'm not changing my opinion let's see it against a a good team uh jude bellingham was really good for england and i think when he was kind of unleashed i think southgate was a bit hesitant to do it right from the start but once he was able to get forward more there was just one too many guy for England and Iran yeah. just couldn't account for everybody. And Bellingham got into really good spaces. He obviously scored a pair of goals. He was really good for them. And I think he's a really key player for them going forward. I'm um, with you. He, he, he made a big difference. And just on that, I think it, it like you said, Southgate realized that Iran was not going to hurt them if they yeah. left back Maguire stones and rice. And he was like, just those three were good. And they yeah. were. Yeah. Um, I need to kind of switch personalities here and, and switch to my, my Argentine personality, which is when I go to order food here in Argentina, I, I just don't even attempt to say my name. I just say I'm Augustine, right? Because I can say I'm, you know, I'm Austin, Austin, and they'll just put Augustine. So we're just going to shift into Augustine mode here really quickly. Um, and you'll realize here in a second why. Harry Kane was really good in this game. And he didn't score a goal, but he was really good. <laughs> Who was that? Who was that? That was Augustine. Oh, Harry Kane okay. sucks. Couldn't okay. even score yeah, a goal. They scored six goals against Iran, and Harry Kane couldn't even get one. What a bum, Amit. What a bum. <laughs> yeah, he was. He he His passing, which he kind of developed three, four years ago, three years ago, has really elevated his game as a top striker. And he was devastating because once England had space, they play into his feet. And he just – he's with a great team. He's playing off to the runners in space. It was awesome. I mean – 
he's <laughs> he found a way to impact the game without just doing his core thing, which is score crappy goal. Really impressive, and I'm not saying that changes my opinion too, but like if he keeps this level up, England are playing right now like a top four or five team at the tournament. We haven't seen everyone play it, but for sure you can feel good that England are among the favorites. Yeah, and you feel good that like your worst case England scenario of group stage disaster is probably off the cards now, right? Like yeah. they've got a plus four goal differential. They looked really good. They've got two teams that looked fine, but are probably pretty beatable for them coming up. So this England team should be at the tournament for quite some time. Yeah, uh, the last totally. game to to break down here, Senegal nil, Netherlands two. Uh, this one hurt from just a neutral perspective and was just one of those very frustrating World Cup results where a big European team gets a result that they probably didn't deserve based on the run of play. Senegal were good. They didn't concede too many chances. They created a bit. They had the run of play in the second half. And then boom, the class and the quality of, of the Netherlands strikes. Cody Gakpo with a ridic- another ridiculous header. This might be the World Cup of ridiculous headers, Amit. Beats the Senegalese goalkeeper, Mendy, to the ball. And that was curtains. They get another on the counter late. This was a frustrating result for Senegal and a frustrating result as a neutral. I'm with you. Before the game, we kind of pointed at this and we thought, uh, Senegal's going to be tough to play through. They're not going to have that much going forward. Netherlands ultimately, Netherlands ultimately is going to have a little too much quality and work them down. And what ended up happening was Senegal, for for balance of play, was a little bit better than the Netherlands, in my yeah. opinion. There was a stretch in the first half, first fifteen minutes. I think Netherlands probably had two, three good chances. Frankie De Jong was dribbling too much, where he could have easily put one away. But Senegal pressed really well. They got up the field really well. And it's because Louis Van Hall plays five in the back. He's it's because his defenders are slow that he's like overcompensating. He's playing Delict or as um, Derek, Derek Ray, like, Ray, Derek Ray would tell you, Delict. It's a really thick, <laughs> really thick accent there. Uh, Virgil Van Dyke, Nathan Ake, Daily Blind is the slowest fullback you'll see at this stage of at this level of soccer, but. Anyways, Netherlands were, were sitting... They didn't have a lot of defensive midfielders, right? They were playing Gakbo, Bergheis, and Frankie de Jong, who were fine, but, like, Senegal were totally in this game. They were yeah. getting the ball, they were pressing, and then what ended up happening is, like, they couldn't really turn their pressure into a great chance. They were missing a little bit of quality in the final third. Would help to have Sadio Mane. And they made two very small mistakes and an important position, Bendy on the goalkeeper, and Netherlands class, especially on that first goal, I mean, what a great ball from De Jong. What a great run and header from Gakpo. Like this this is what it this is what you said about what the World Cup looks like. It all takes is a moment where you put together a good play from start to finish. And if you make a mistake on the other end, like that these are the margins. I thought Senegal were slightly better, but Netherlands upper echelon of talent made the difference. This is a totally unfair result, but like Credit to credit to the Netherlands, and they didn't give up too much. So you can't say that Senegal deserved a win. They just were a little hard done. I think you have to credit the the Dutch goalkeeper, right? No, yeah. part, I'm gonna, so you you want to have a go at the at the club he plays for. You just want to you just want to give that a, a quick pronunciation. FC uh, here in Veen. Yeah, I, I would imagine that's fairly close. Making his first half, first time he'd yeah. ever played for the Netherlands, and he made a couple of really he did. He didn't make any save that was like incredible, like oh my gosh, what an insane save. 
but he made really big saves at the moment. You know, he, he denied that that kind of weird near post chance. And then there was the one where he did really well to get down on the a screen shot too, where he got all the way down and was able to make the save. Yeah. And again, low event football, those types of moments matter. And it looks like Louis van Gaal picked the right goalkeeper, at least for now. I agree. Did you hear that weird bit on the broadcast that he's like training the goalkeeper coaches for penalties with like a volleyball yeah, coach? Insane. Yeah. It's like <laughs> Louis Van Hall's like, I need to find value on the margins to the extreme. He's yeah. like, I'm preparing for this Netherlands like US shootout already, and I'm gonna psych the <laughs> psych this team out so much. Anyways, he is a psycho, but you know, there's not too much to say. I think Senegal still is alive in this group. This game against Ecuador is going to be awesome, and I think we can talk about it either now yeah, so, or when so we it's, get back. Yeah, so it's interesting. So the way that this group sets up now, you know, the Netherlands will now play Ecuador in game two. Senegal play Qatar. You know, that's a must win for totally. both of those teams. Obviously, we're kind of viewing Senegal as the much more likely to advance, but you have to win that game. You have to get three points. And then it becomes interesting what happens between Ecuador and Netherlands because I think based on what we've seen in this first match day, that's a pretty even match and Ecuador should be able to frustrate the Dutch. And if, you know, they're taking their chances like they were against Qatar, they could sneak away with three points there. And then that would, you know, kind of throw the whole group into interesting. But the most likely scenario here, Amit, is that this is probably going to come down to Ecuador against Senegal on the last match day to go through with the Netherlands battering Qatar to seal first place. Yeah, that is the most likely, which makes for a really fun day three match if we get there. I think overall, like, how do we feel about Netherlands away from this game? They they are what they are. They are a talented yeah. team that's in right on the edge of the upper group of contenders, but they have obvious flaws, and they're probably going to get to uh, the quarterfinals without having played a really talented team. And then we'll see if there's someone can exploit those flaws. We'll see if Ecuador can do it, because I think Ecuador can do their own brand of the Senegal game plan with a little more dribbling and creativity on the wings. And then honestly, uh, Se- Senegal didn't have too much on set pieces. I know they, you know, they made them important moments, but they didn't get a good chance. Ecuador really good on set pieces. They were in qualifying. They were yeah. in game one. So it, that, that could change the final day, but I do think that's likely. And who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll take another uh, round of data points before we talk about that one. But um Netherlands are good, but flawed. Yeah. Um, and Group B, quickly admit, we touched on this a lot. Um, England looks good. We like their odds to get through and probably win the group. And it kind of still feels like it's a three-way fight for that other spot to go through with the U.S. and Wales definitely ahead of Iran. But look, Iran have already played their toughest match. Yeah, They spat they out goal differential. Out that's not good. And that's going to hurt them, obviously. But there's absolutely still a path through this group for them. They just have to beat two teams that they're capable of beating, right? In the U.S. and yeah. Wales. The the biggest game of the group is Iran Wales, right? Like, and, and that's coming up next while the USA play or yeah, when the USA plays sure. England on that day, and that's gonna that's gonna affect how the final day goes. Because while Iran feels down and out, three points against Wales, and then it's all on on the final yep. day. So well, and, be, it, it could be a mess. And that could absolutely set up a situation where they only need to draw against the U.S. to go through, yes. depending on what the U.S. does against England. So all four of those teams are, are definitely still in it, even if the vibes are, are not very good for my pre-World Cup semifinals. Um, what's been your biggest kind of takeaway? You know, this is basically one day of World Cup action. It was spread over two days. We had four games. That's what we're going to have tomorrow. What's your one big takeaway? 
I think it's what we've been hinting at at this podcast on this podcast specifically. World Cup is low event soccer. Yeah. Set pieces matter. It's going to be junky games. Like this is what modern international football looks like. Teams are really well organized. They're really well drilled. They're really intense, except for Qatar and a half, <laughs> which was a real letdown as the hosts. But like to score, it's going to take something extraordinary. It's going to take a mistake. And three of these games, right? Am, am I thinking three of these games were decided by a crazy header um, that just was a low XG chance because they were crosses. And I'm not saying I'm not ready to declare yet. This is the World Cup of crosses. But against teams that are bunkered in and when your team trying to protect yourself from being vulnerable, that is a way to generate risk-free offense and create medium quality chances and credit to the goal scores. Those were all really good headers from Gakbo, Bellingham and Valencia. So this is a sweaty time. This is, yeah. you got to sweat, you got to sweat out results. This is the world cup. Uh, it's not going to be pretty, but um, the teams that won did it. They were more opportunistic and USA Wales, right? It was also a match of very fine margins and a sweaty match. And I'm glad we had one like really good, half of soccer as a fan but this is what it's going to be it's going to be intense um i'm kind of conflicted so my takeaway is that we're going to see an insane amount of stoppage time at this world cup yeah very clearly been a directive to referees to add on just ridiculous amounts of time there were nine minutes of second half stoppage time in that usa wales game and in a normal football match there would have been probably four potentially five like it was not a second half that featured a lot of stoppages so i'm think there's been very clearly been a directive to add on literally all of the stoppage time, which is technically how stoppage time is supposed to work. And I understand that it's just weird. It's different. And I haven't quite decided how I feel about it yet. It's weird in a lot of ways. And I can, I want to expand on this briefly in that one before you could feel like uh, we're, we're getting shifted on the stoppage time. There's never enough, but now that there is, is a, a lot of problems with it. One is that, these players run so much in 90 yeah. minutes. It's not good for the legs. So then what's happening is the last four or five minutes of stoppage time are, to put it in one way, like drunk soccer. Yeah. Like people's legs are gone. It's end to end. And maybe that's more entertaining, but I'm not sure that's like good for the players or necessarily good for the outcomes that FIFA wants at these World Cups. Um, on top of it, I get like FIFA's trying, there is a ball and play issue with soccer for sure, but I'm not sure the answer was to throw an extra five minutes on stoppage time and just get weird. Like I know FIFA's not going to shorten the game. I saw some discourse about this on Twitter. Maybe that's where we're headed, but you can't just out of nowhere with no warning, do this at a world cup because yeah. this totally changes in my opinion, like your strategy as a team, like right. the teams with better subs, the teams that can run more, like when we were talking about this in the Wales game, specifically Wales, US, Wales was gassed. Yes. And the US was gassed too, but like. The they, US had a lot more depth to bring on to counteract yes, being they gassed. They did. So like they, it, it matters. But then while it, it favors some of the, the favorites with more talent in that way, it also gives a team that's chasing a result that extra minutes to make something yeah. crazy happen. So like. It's really chaotic. And listen, we're World Cup after dark. This is going to lead to some after dark moments. I cannot wait for my first 
pl- 101 goal, yeah. like plus 11 goal, which will Not happen yet. at this World Cup at this point. But is it good for the game? It depends what you want. I, yeah. I wish this hadn't happened the way it at, did. Oh, yeah, it's just we. It, yeah, I think that's a, that's a pretty good way of putting it. And it's very clearly that it's going to be a thing, right? Like we've seen it now be a thing. For it not to be a thing, they'd have to come out and say, "Hey, we did something different. Now we're not doing it." Yeah, right. Like you don't start the world. Like in no world do you ever see nine yeah. minutes of stoppage time that doesn't involve a significant actual stoppage for injury. Right. My last note on this is, as a just a fan of soccer. Now these games are getting out of the two-hour window. I know. Keep it tight, I know. guys. I Come on. Meticulously planned my life for the next ten days about having one hour in between these games, and if that one hour turns into fifty-one minutes, life's gonna get real hard. Life's yeah. gonna get real hard. All right, Amit. Uh, let's close out with this. Let's look ahead to what we have coming up. Um, let's stick to to what we're gonna see on Tuesday. Group C and Group D open up. Pick out a game that that you're excited to see among those. Yeah, there's a pretty clear one here. It's Mexico-Poland. Yeah. Of all the hashtag big first games, this is Senegal-Ecuador. This is Wales-Iran on day one. These are the two teams scrapping for that second spot. Very clear favorite in this group in Argentina. Um, two teams that are definitely flawed, but definitely both think they can get through. Going to be really supercharged. I'm, I'm very excited for it. I really want to see how Mexico plays. I'm hoping we'll get some quality goals. It'll probably be KG and whatnot, but um, it should be really fun. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's obviously the correct pick. It is the game with certainly the most amount of stakes. It is the game that we are most unsure of what's going to happen. Selfishly, I'm obviously very excited to watch Argentina at the World oh, Cup course. being in Argentina. The opponent gives a lot of credence to the fact that we may see a pretty good show from Argentina in that match. And somebody who picked Lionel Messi as their world cup pick stop goal scorer, the more goals, the better. Um, and also I think I'm, I'm semi intrigued by France, Australia, um, yeah. just in the sense of, I want to see where France is at. Right. And look at the last world cup, you know, it's not like they opened up guns blazing either at that world cup. So, we can give them a bit of a margin of error, but I think there would be a big benefit to France coming out and kind of blowing past a pretty limited Australia side, right? I think so. I think there's a lot of chatter about them just, you know, having infighting. Not that they are specifically. There is the whole Pogba's brother, like, placing a curse on Kylian Mbappe thing, but Pogba's not in the squad, so we're going to say there's no infighting. That's fine. Okay, But in general, the... The French reputation for that, and also the World Cup repeater's curse, and then the, the French repu- Yes, the, yes. So there's a lot of question marks about this France squad. So if they could come out and quell those concerns uh, with a nice route, that would be good for them. And, you know, all these big teams at this World Cup, this is your chance to, like, get the fans involved, get your narratives going. Not that that matters, but, like, when you look back at a World Cup, you're like, oh, these people made a statement or, like, they were a powerhouse early on. Like, England, I think, for sure, put the whole tournament on notice. And now is uh, Argentina's turn for sure because they have expectations. And France, if, you know, if it's anything but comfortable, the sky will be falling. So they got to take care of business. You want to talk about Denmark-Tunisia? Yeah, it's the only game we haven't touched on here. Um, This is kind of intriguing as well, right? Denmark are these big you know, dark horse, quote unquote, teams that people are are backing and probably with some pretty good reason. 
And Tunisia are this kind of interesting African squad that has some pieces that, you know, look, there's not a lot of people who have been watching Tunisia play. And so this will be an opportunity to see that. Um, Again, they did not have the most consistent, impressive qualifying cycle among the African teams here. So that kind of leads me to believe that they might not be that strong. But look, it's not like Denmark should be world beaters at this World Cup. This is an opportunity for Tunisia, and I think it, it it's the World Cup. Every match is interesting. I can make any match interesting. But yes. it makes for an interesting proposition, at least on paper, to start. And then you kind of reassess, right? Like if after 30 minutes Denmark are comfortably ahead, it's like, okay, all right, yeah. I know what I know about these two teams now. Yeah, I'm with you. I think Mexico-Poland has the most potential to get into good game state where it's late and both teams think they need a win. But th- that game could also go like Poland might be like, ah, eh, we'll draw you and bet we can put more past Saudi Arabia than you. And I Mexico think Tunisia will just be incapable of scoring. And so they'll just draw the match anyway. Yeah. Yeah. That could happen. But <clears throat> in terms of Denmark, Tunisia, I think, you know, for them in their mind, if they're going to get through, this is their big first game and they have to right. win. So if this is a competitive game into the second half, it could be very fun if Tunisia are up for it. I think we both agree. Let's see Tunisia play for 30 minutes when we, right. before we decide what Tunisia we're getting. Because yeah. the 2018 edition was not that good. The 2021-22 edition has not been that good. But it's a World Cup. So, yep. This was fun. The World Cup's back. It's great. That second half of the, the, the USA-Wales match was the first. Like, there's always that moment when you kind of feel like the World Cup gets, like, lit. Like, the candle is, is lit, you know? Yeah. It was like. All right, that was the moment. There was that up and down action, great crowd. The Wales fans were really into it. It was like, all right, the World Cup is here, and now we're ready to do it all again tomorrow and the day after and the day after and the day after. So a good early start to this World Cup, I think we're both pleased with. Yeah, I would have loved a U.S. men's national team. On the whole, I'm so happy we're back. This was fun, and let's get some more good goals. Lionel Messi comes tomorrow, right? (laughs) Uh, He could give us a good goal. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right, we'll be back before you know it. This has been the World Cup After Dark. Thanks for listening.